hear this. Today's actions affect tomorrow's world. The things that you do today will have a direct impact on what tomorrow is like for you. However, how you view tomorrow impacts the way you live today. Hope changes your mindset. So not only does what you do today determine your future, but what you view as your future will impact the way that you live today. And if the way that you live today impacts your future, that means what you hope in impacts your future. Now, if you have an eternal mindset, it means that the world that is to come, if you would set your hope and your imagination upon it, it will absolutely change the way you live today, but it will absolutely change your life tomorrow, which is a pretty cool thing. And so Christmas time traditionally is a time of looking back, but today we're not going to do that. We're going to look back, but we're also going to look forward to Christmas future. Now, am I just being like a little woody here? Like, is, is this a real thing, a Christmas future? Well, absolutely it is. Because the idea of Christmas is Advent. Advent means arrival. Which means it's about God's arriving. And if Advent and Christmas is about arrival and there is going to be a time when God returns to this world and makes all things right, then that means there's a second Christmas. And this is the great hope of the world. And if you want to be someone who has joy and peace. And I don't know why you wouldn't want that, but if, you're, if you would want that, man, it's all right here. Christmas past, Christmas future. I mean, there is an art to understanding the promises of God. And if you'll just learn to dream and to hope, to, like, like a child, then well, it's going to change everything for you. So we're going to be in Isaiah 65 today. We'll be in Isaiah all the way through the series and I think we'll do Q&A today. You guys want to do Q&A? So if you have questions after the sermon is over, just text them in. There'll be a number on the screen. Text your questions to that number, and I'll get them. And, and go ahead and do it while the sermon is happening so I get them right when it's over, and then we could jump into those Q&As. Now, okay, Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. This is the great hope that is to come. It says, For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall... There be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or a man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy 
in all my holy mountain. All right, we're going to look at three points today. And the first point is the unfolding story. The second is the unfolding joy. And the third is the unfolding peace. Now, the unfolding story. Here's what you need to know about the Bible. As you start to read this, there is a story that's unfolding. And you start in Genesis and you read through and you come here to our verses in Isaiah 65 and you say, this unfolding, this future promise that is to come, this is the greatest future promise I have seen. Now, that's interesting because the question would be, David, why wouldn't you just read in the book of Revelation? Because in the book of Revelation picks this stuff up right here that I just read, except it expands the promises. It makes them even greater. Now, if you're going to read the Bible and you want to know how to read it, here's what you have to understand. The Bible always keeps making these promises. And then when the Bible, when God delivers on the promises that he makes, it's always in an unexpected way and it's always better than what we thought it was going to be. So we thought this idea there's going to be a Christ that comes and Jesus came in such a different way than we expected and so much better than we expected. And so what we see here in Isaiah is an unfolding of a promise. But then when the book of Revelation picks up on this promise, it puts it on steroids where here it's saying, you know, there's going to be a place where death seems to be defeated. In Revelation, we see that it actually is defeated completely it's like, well, here's what I'm getting at. I have a sneaky suspicion that the book of Revelation is just scratching the surface of the world that God is making for us. We're just getting a little tiny glimmer of what it's going to be. So what that means is your future is way greater than you are realizing right now. Way better. And you got to learn how to imagine a dream of the future that is coming to you. So uh, let me read to you a C.S. Lewis quote from... The Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle is the last book. And what he's doing is he's depicting uh, this world that he's, C.S. Lewis is depicting this world he's created with this lion called Aslan who's representing Christ. And he's trying to show us what eternity is going to be like. So here's what he says. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. All right, watch this. Christmas time, we're looking back. And, and, and I would say, if you want to know how to look at Christmas time, here's what you got to do. You got to look beyond the manger and go all the way back to Eden. And when you look there at Eden, here becomes the question of the manger. Is this the one who has come to restore Eden? This little child lying in the manger, is he going to be the one that does it? And the answer that the Bible gives you is no. He's going to bring something better than Eden. See, you kept being told this thing about Eden, that it was perfect, but Eden was never perfect. Eden was good. Eden, there was work to do to create a world that one day would be perfect. But we failed the test. We missed out on this. And so the world, the perfect world never came. So what Jesus has come to do is come to give us the world we've always dreamed of. And he's begun the process, but it is not yet fully here. Something better than Eden, though, has come. Because it's something that can't be lost. 
So we need to ask this question in this story that's unfolding, where do we sit in it? Well, we, we get a little hint of it from verse 23 that talks about we will be the offspring, the blessed of the Lord. Okay, let me tell you what that means. So Jesus is the seed, and he's the seed that has been dropped into the earth, into this child, this baby boy in the manger. And then he goes to this cross, this child who's raised up to die, and then he's buried underneath the earth. But then in the resurrection, he breaks open death. He breaks open the grave. He breaks open the dirt. And when he does this, an eternal spring has just sprung up among us. And what it means now in this world that's like a desert is there are little like flowers that just keep poking up in this desert place. And it's a picture and an image of what like a hint like, hey, you see that flower that just popped up in the desert? That's nothing compared to what is to come. Because on the second Christmas, the second Advent, when Christ returns, as crazy as it sounds, when he returns and he's coming back, it's like all of a sudden, like a swift sunrise, the the desert is covered in green. As beautiful, as wonderful, and as everything that we dreamed of. And, And so what it feels like for us is there's a fight in the desert for this eternal spring that has begun now. And it's happening in your life It's happening in your relationships. It's happening among you in your house where this eternal spring is fighting to be known in the desert. It's fighting to be seen. And we're part of this story. We're swept up into it. And then as, you know, so we're thinking about the future. So each day, it's like the page is just turned and we're getting closer, closer to the end, closer to when everything is made right. All right, next point. As this story unfolds, so does our joy. Verse 17. Former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. What's that mean? Well, former things, what we do know, one thing that it means is that all of your shame, all of the guilt that you have, all of your sins, you know all the things that you have done that make you cringe that you don't want the people in this room to know about that is making you a little want to squirm in your seat right now because I'm talking about those things completely forgotten, never remembered, wiped clean, gone. And all the things that you have done to people to cause pain in their life, it's like God pulls it out of their memory. This is the world that is to come. The things will be remembered no more. But there's another thing that the Bible says it's, that seems to contradict this. It says that the future that we inhabit, it's made better because of the suffering that we're going through in the present time, which means we've got to some way remember the suffering we're going through in order to enjoy the future. So you put these two ideas together and it means something like this. Take your sin, for example. So you do something you don't want to do and you keep doing this thing you don't want to do and it just won't go away. But every time you do it, you go running to Christ for grace. And when you run and you meet the God of grace, you know what happens to you? You get this encounter with God. And in, upon this encounter, you begin to see the beauty of Christ, the glory of him, the wonder of him. And it puts you in a sense of worship in awe and wonder. And it fills you with this joy. Because you stared at your sin, but you said, I'm not going to look at it anymore because I've got a Savior, and I'm going to go running to him and ask him to do something about it. And you meet with him. And so what that means is, look at what just happened. So it was a bad thing that you did, but it gave you joy. (laughs) 
So should you keep sinning? No. But this is what God does. He's in the business of redeeming things. And so when you sin, he brings beauty out of it. He brings beauty up out of the ashes. You put these two things together where everything's wiped from your memory except somehow the bad things make the good things better. It's like you do things to hurt people. Maybe not on purpose, but it's happening. Somehow, God pulls the memory of it from them. Things will be remembered no more. Yet, at the same time, the part that they can see that has brought good because of the pain that you caused them, God leaves them. It's so weird. It's so beautiful. It's like he keeps redeeming the things that we're doing wrong, but then he keeps making it somehow better because we did something wrong. This is the genius of God. And then verse 18, it tells us to be joyful twice. Rejoice and be glad. And it's an imperative, which means it's a command. So God here is demanding us and commanding us to have joy. And whenever God commands you to do something, he always, absolutely always gives you what you need to have that joy. So then we look at verse 19. Well, what's going to give us the joy? It says twice joy in verse 19. And he says this, there will be no sound of weeping. No longer will infants live a few days and the young will die. The young young will live past 100. I mean, all right, what does this mean? It's poetic language. Now, some of you are being like, oh, does that mean we're going to have some like, things in science that are going to get pushed further and we're going to be living longer and longer? Well, maybe, but probably not. Probably what it means is it's the person hearing that sounds like, dang, death just got defeated. Like death just took a blow. We've been living 30, 40 years and now we're talking about living over 100 Death is going down. But then we see Revelation put this promise on steroid where it says it's not just that you're going to live a long life. It's that you're not. Death is dead. It's gone. You're going to live forever, forever and ever. And right now, bad things happen. Babies die. People break our hearts. There's hurt. There's loss. There's pain. We lose the people that we love. And it breaks us over and over and over again. Yet you have a hope and a future that says somehow everything sad is going to come untrue. All of it turned untrue. And when you trust that's your future, it changes the way you live today. My oldest son, Cruz, he's got this sickness that is in a lot of ways ruined us, in a lot of ways made us stronger. But this promise tells us that there's going to come a day when what he has is wiped clean from him and the veil is going to get pulled back. And when the veil is going to be pulled back, he, he, like he, he's so beautiful to me now, but it's going to get pulled back and it's going to be like, wow, this is amazing. Look at what he's been meant to become this whole time. And you know what that does to me when I think about that right now? It gives me joy. But you know, it doesn't just give me joy. It stands me up when we're facing difficult times with him. It lifts us up and it makes us be able to keep moving on, to keep enduring. It gives us strength. And it's not just him. It's you. Right now, like you are, the version of you is veiled. Like there's going to come a day when it is pulled back and the beauty of who you are as you are reflecting the image of God perfectly as you've been meant to be. C.S. Lewis, as we're talking about him, he says something like, look, if we saw the version of us 
that we're one day meant to become. Like if one of you right now came and stood up on this stage and the veil got pulled back to see the version of you you're meant to become, every single person in this room would be tempted to worship you. That would be the kind of beauty that you have. The veil is beginning to be pulled back. He's beginning to make all things new. He's transforming you, growing you, making you new. And so what this means is hope is powerful. And then it says in verse 21 through 23 that we're going to enjoy all of the work that we have to do. Now, whenever I'm preaching a sermon that's coming up, I'm thinking about these kinds of things. And so this, this week uh, I had a few encounters with people and I said, hey, how you doing, man? And it went something like, oh, I'm not working today. So any day that I don't have to work, I love that day. And, but what this is telling us is that one day there's going to be work that we have to do in eternity that we will absolutely love and enjoy every single bit of it. It's like, you know, this is, you know what happened in Eden? We messed up. And then one of the problems of us messing up, one of the curses that comes upon us is that now our work is going to be hard. It's like you run 100 miles an hour at your job, and it's like you took a step. But there's going to come a day when every single step you take is like actually a step or it's like a leap. And it means something like this. You're going to take a seed of love. Like you're doing whatever it is that you do. This is in your home or your workplace or your neighborhood. You take this seed of love and you just throw it out. Throw it out there. And it goes down into the earth and it grows up into this tree. It's one act of love. And then this tree bears all of this fruit. And then this fruit drops to the ground that has hundreds of seeds in it. And then the next thing you know, you've got a whole grove of love from one act. That's productivity. That's fruitful work, as the verse says. Right now, raising kids is really hard, and you should work really hard at it. But it's like there's going to come a day when that kind of thing is easy. Right now, with inflation, you're freaking out. You don't have enough money. You keep losing money. It's hard work. It's hard work to maintain your relationships. It's, it's hard work to maintain your marriage. It's hard work to raise your kids. It's hard work to do good at your job. But there's going to come a day when it's all easy. And it's not just your work. You know, you, by the way, you understand this, right? In eternity, we'll have work to do that's beautiful and good and righteous and wonderful and enjoyable. But it's not just your work. Like, it changes the way, you, because if you know that's your future, it can change the way that you work today. And if eternal spring has sprung, then you're bringing the kingdom of God now. Like, in other words, there's great stuff that you could do with your job if you'll just open up your eyes and see. Like, you hold the keys to the kingdom of God, and then you are there in your workplace, and you're able to bring, like, eternity into your workplace. And if you'll just open up your eyes to it, you'll see it, and you'll feel like there's so much purpose for you in your job and in your workplace. There's a calling for you there. Okay, but it's not just your work. I wouldn't just say that your view of the future changes the way you live today, but it might even change how long you live. And let me explain what I mean by that. So there's an admiral, his name is Jim Stockdale, and he became a prisoner of war, him and all of his men. And after they escaped, he said that there were three types of people that were prisoners of war with him. Two, of the, two types died and one type lived. He said the two types that died, the first type, were the people who thought they'd never get out. They had no hope, so they just gave up and died. So said the second type that died thought we'd be out by Christmas or Easter, and Christmas or Easter would come and go, and they would die of a broken heart. He said the people that lived 
They dealt with the reality that was before them. They were prisoners of war and they might be there for years. All this time lost with their family, all this time lost with their lives. They dealt with the reality of that, yet they never gave up hope that one day they would get out. Those were the people that survived. Which means how you view your future has a direct impact on how you live today. My motto that I've been trying to live by, by, when people ask me, David, how are you doing? I say something like this. I'm enjoying the good times and I'm fighting through the hard times. And what I mean by fighting through the hard times is I'm I'm looking at reality and I'm I'm not going to stop hoping. Because I know what happens if you stop hoping. You stop hoping, you're buried. You stop hoping, you're depressed. You stop hoping, you're already in the grave. You're like a walking dead man or woman if you have lost your hope. And so I'm not going to give up on hoping, no matter how hard it gets. And that's what we're supposed to be learning today is to never give up hope. And that's what the future Christmas is telling us, to never give up hope. And to properly... Let me just give you a lesson on how to hope. To properly learn how to hope, you have to let your imagination run a little bit wild. Because God has given you an imagination for you to use. And it's specifically, I might argue, that its main use is to, for you to set your mind on your future reality that is to come. And what begins to happen is if you can envision what your future is, you begin to be, like it begins to inhabit the present. And so you're, if you're thinking about eternity, it means eternity's coming and it's inhabiting right now. So my daughter, my daughter doesn't yet know how to imagine a world that is to come. So she came up to me a couple months ago and she was crying. And I said, "What's wrong?" And she said, "Is heaven forever?" I'm like, oh, I have a solution for this. She's worried that heaven is not going to be forever, so I'm going to fix this for her. I said, yeah, heaven's forever. It's going to be awesome. And she starts wailing. Now, my daughter feels all the things. And I said, what's wrong with forever? And she said, it's just going to be so boring. (laughs) And you can kind of get what she's saying, right? It's like even like your best bowl of ice cream. If you start having it every day, your, your taste buds, become, it grows dull. But it's like God gives you a new flavor every day or something better than ice cream. Here's what's going to happen to us, and I'll tell you why this is true. Our capacity for joy will increase every day into eternity, meaning the amount of joy that's in eternity is always there. But our capacity to receive it is ever increasing. Now, why would I say that? Well, because of this. If you can be in eternity and imagine a tomorrow that's better than today, then that's not perfect. But you're saying, well, David, I thought we were already perfect. Yes, we are. We're already 100% perfect in eternity. So if we're perfect and we can think of something tomorrow that's better than that day, then that means that world isn't perfect. Which means every single day in eternity will be better than the last because we have more capacity for it. It's like the same way that the universe is ever expanding, the same way that your capacity for joy is ever expanding. Now, if you think I'm over-exaggerating God, and if you think I'm over-exaggerating the world that is to come, I need to tell you something about God. You cannot over-exaggerate him. And you cannot over-exaggerate the world that he has promised you. Do you know why? 
because you are made in the image of God. And if you have an imagination, that means God has an imagination. And if you think you can outdo God's imagination, then you do not understand who God is. You are a reflection of him, not him. Which means if you think of something amazing, God is going to think of something even more amazing for you. Which means if you could think of an eternity that's boring, well, you're not thinking with the mind of God. And you don't know who he is because he will always give you something better and better. And just when you think there's no way he can top it, he's just going to keep topping it because you can't outthink and outimagine God. So this is your God. And he will give you an overwhelming joy that you think this is just so amazing. There could be nothing better, but then the next day is better. And it's not just a place of joy, but it's a place of peace. Next point. Verse 25 says, the wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. All right, so if you could just let me have a little bit of fun here. I'm not saying this is the main meaning of this text, maybe a secondary meaning, but let me just say this. So the wolf and the lamb have peace. The lion that normally would eat us is eating straw. So if God is going to make absolutely all things new, all of creation... And dinosaurs are part of creation. Dinosaurs are going to be made new, and then dinosaurs aren't going to want to eat us. Well, then, yeah, this is a little exciting for some of you. I mean, it's like you can have a, you can hang out with the dinosaurs. Like maybe you get to ride a T Rex. Maybe you get to jump up on a pterodactyl and go for a little ride in the heavenly skies. I don't know. But if this sounds like, if you're like, well, this seems like a stretch, David. Well. This is just coming from my mind. Imagine if it's coming from God, what he's going to think up for you. Okay? Now, the primary meaning of this is that you're going to find peace in places where you did not think it would be possible to find peace. Peace among people that you did not think would be possible to have peace together. And it's a picture of rest. It's a picture of you fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith, and then you arrive at eternity's shore and you sit down and look back and scan through all of your life and all the pain and the suffering and the difficulties that you were fighting for and you have finally arrived on eternity's shore and you take the deep breath of peace knowing that every day from this point on will be complete bliss. That's the future. Psalm 23 says, you make me lie down in green pastures. You, you lay me beside still waters. It's the, all of your desires, all of your longings, all of your wants that are like restless in your bones. All of a sudden you have peace. You have rest. And it's good. And if you can imagine that future peace now, it means it can inhabit today. That's what your imagination is for. And then Psalm 23 also says this. It says, you, you sit me down in the table in the presence of my enemies. Now, now, what that means is that life in this world is not as it's meant to be. There's death, there's evil, there's sin all around us, but you are with us and you sit us down at this table and it's like we're dining in the halls of paradise before we get there because God, you are here with us. And so that means Christmas time, when you're eating with your family, in a way God is sitting right there with you, dining with you in a world that is not yet your home, but because he is there, you get glimpses of home even now. 
And so don't you dare sit down for Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve dinner, when you're with your family and with your friends. And don't you dare not have the joy and the peace of heaven that is to come because it's offered for you because he is with you. And so that table that you're dining at, it's a picture of the coming table that is to come when you are with God forever in paradise, eating the eternal meal. And then it says, the serpent's food will be our dust, which means all evil is absolutely crushed. The peace of victory will ring through the skies of heaven forever. All because the Christ of Christmas future has come. He's the man of peace who entered a world at war. And he went to war with sin, death, and evil. And he was swallowed up by it. So that when he broke up out of it, we could be free and break out of it with him. You have freedom. And in the same way, he is the man of joy. There is enough joy in him to set the whole world laughing. Yet he became a man of sorrows because he entered our world. And he became swallowed up by our sorrows because he came and he took on our burdens. And he, swall- he was swallowed up by our sorrows, but then he burst through them in the resurrection. And he turned our mourning into dancing. And in the same way, he entered into our story and made our story his story. So he might redeem our story. And that means that the eternal spring has already sprung. So while you sit down for Christmas, while you're opening up presents, while you're doing everything it is you do for Christmas time, look for the hints of eternity because they're all before you. And the more you can see them, the more joy you will have now. Let's pray. Father, make us into people of joy who know how to party well, who know how to celebrate well, Because you have come. And help us look at this with an intense seriousness to what is before us. And you coming and you dying and you rising and you promising that you're going to return. But but at the same time with the seriousness, let us have fun. Because you have come and you've promised us a beautiful future. Let us live in this tension of joy and sorrow and peace and war. Help us live with all of our might in light of this hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see what we got for questions. First question, if heaven is so great and everyone should be looking forward to it, why is everyone working so hard to live longer here on the earth? It's like that, um, that old hymn, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't quite know the answer to that. I, I do know that I've had the honor and privilege of walking with some people when it got close to their time of death. Um, and I think of my, my grandmother, Grandma Gloria. Um, she passed away, like, I don't know how long has it been, like a year and a half now, I think. So... This was a woman who's 97, 98. And like when it came time, like we knew she was going to pass away and she knew it. She, she said to me, it's like she's in the hospital and, and we all thought she was going and she wasn't. And she said to me, David, I'm trying to die and it's not working. 
It's like she was ready to go. Like she was ready for, for everything that's been promised to her. And like she was excited about it. So I, I think that part of our problem is that we have these moments of clarity about what we believe. At least the Christian does. And these moments of clarity come and we look forward to this and we don't fear death. I'm, I'm reading a, uh, I just finished a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he's, he's a man who was um, martyred um, for his faith in, in a plot to um, kill Hitler. And when he, in one of his sermons, when he writes about uh, death, he said that death is evil, dark, and vile. But our faith transforms it into something that we could, I guess you could say, welcome like an old friend. Like, it's, it's, it's our doorway into everything we want and dream of. So uh, the, the answer to that question is, I think it depends on our faith. Um, the person who gets on a plane to go to New York gets on that plane. One's terrified, one's excited, but they both get there. The one who's excited and doesn't fear flying gets there with a smile on their face, can face death with a smile. The person who's terrified gets there, but they're terrified along the way. So, again, the degree that you believe in this future hope is the degree that you will die well. It's the degree that you will live well. So there, that's my attempt at that answer. Right, let me see if we can do one or two more. Um, no cheeseburgers or bacon in heaven. I don't know. Like, is there meat? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I wish I did know the answer. I just, I, I was also kind of pondering that. And I don't know. I don't know that that's what we're supposed to be thinking about, though, either. <laughs> just throwing that out there. So how did you encourage your daughter who recently cannot grasp the exciting concept or ever-expanding eternity of hope and joy devoid, devoid of boredom. I don't remember what I said. I hope I said something like what I said to you, but it probably wasn't. I mean, I thought about this more, so I probably just like stumbled on my words and said something at some effort for it. Um, you know, and, and, and that's good, I think. Like when we think about our kids and we think about like each other and how we're here for each other, like to sharpen each other. It's like you're, you're not going to have the perfect words to say to your daughter when she asks you a question like that. And that's okay because you have all this time with her. And, and so uh, be in the long game with your kids. You don't have to have everything figured out all the way. But if you just keep focused on like what are we grow like invite them into the process of your own growth and your own uh, hope in the future. And I think they'll learn how to do the same thing. Um, all right, let's be done. I'm going to pray. Band's going to come up, and we're going to sing again. Um, but I do want to say, when we sing, let's sing as people with hope. Let's sing as people with joy and with peace, uh, even though this world is not what it ought to be. All right, Father. I pray that the, the most serious doubter here who who can't seem to find a, a hope that stirs to belief, I, I pray that you would put a longing there and turn that longing all the way up to 10 so we together, all of us, might learn to do this, to run past everything that this world has to offer us, 
to the hope that is to come and help us learn how to dream of things of, of, of eternity. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at the Grove Church Official, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.